Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 48 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hi there, Husker fans. All right. Hello, hello. And uh, we are here today to talk about the Nebraska versus Wisconsin game um, and uh, where we stand now as a program at the University of Nebraska, as well as maybe a little bit of discussion about some of the wider uh, college football landscape after this exciting weekend. Uh, How are things with you, Dad? Good, good. Uh, Obviously disappointed in the result of our game this past weekend, but, uh, but, uh, always the, uh, the supportive, uh, fan, uh, I, I'm always thinking about trying to figure out how we can, uh, right the ship out of this. There you go. Well, if it makes you feel any better, my roommate here in LA is a Giants fan and they're currently 0 and 5. Uh, so it could always be worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That is exactly right. Keep that in mind. Uh, so before we dive into the meat of our podcast, I believe you have a beverage to crack for us. I do. I do. And in fact, this is a special beverage. This is a Nebraska Pils, Nebraska Pils, Pilsner Lager. It's uh, quite a, a, a decent lager, I would say, from, uh, from this uh, uh, Nebraska brewery. And it has a unique can to it. It's one of these cans where you open the entire top comes off. It's quite nice. Uh, so I'm going to try this and we'll see how it sounds. Okay. There we go. You kind of could tell a little bit different and then I have to pull the whole lid off now. Boom. So the whole mouth of the, of the top of the can is open. It's uh, actually an ingenious method for uh, beer. You drink them a little faster though, because of this. <laughs> well, that's probably their plan. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Um, Cheers. Cheers. Uh, So before we dive into the Wisconsin game, I just have a little anecdote that's kind of fun. Um, Let's see. I guess it was on uh, Monday. No, yesterday was Monday. Um, Right. I'm forgetting. No, so it wasn't Monday. It was last week. I guess it was Friday. Um, Last Friday, I went to a uh, Chicago pizza place here uh, in L.A., and there was a bunch of fans there watching the the, the Cubs play. Um, I guess I should have figured that uh, the Chicago Pizza Place would be a, a home for the baseball team. So there's a whole bunch of people gathered around there, and it was a pretty small place, so I sat next to this couple. Um, and I think we just got uh, talking about sports because I'm not into baseball, and I mentioned football and Nebraska and all that. And it came up that he is a former Nebraska player who was there well, when Eric Crouch was there and Frank Solich and all that. Um, and so uh, from doing just a little bit of research, uh, his name is Blanchard Johnson, and he was in the 1999 class. Uh, he was a linebacker for us. I don't know if he ever played. Um, he was not yeah. a starter or anything like that. Um, but it's just okay. kind of cool to uh, see meet meet someone like that just randomly. Yeah, that is kind of neat. Well, and it's... It's always nice to get their perspective because they have a little bit more of a, you know, inside the the park perspective. But obviously, he's now removed from it far enough, and there's so many coaches changes that have happened since then. You know, I'm sure he doesn't necessarily have a lot of that inside connection at this point. But I bet he had some interesting things to share with you. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like I asked him about Eric Crouch, and he just mentioned, oh, he was a, very, a quiet guy, and uh, I mentioned that. You know, Frank Solich uh, was at Ohio University where I went to school and all that stuff. That's cool. He probably found that fascinating. He knew a lot of the other assistants too, Jerry Godowski and some of the other guys that went with Frank. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then um, at our last podcast, um, or yes, I believe it was on the last podcast, we got a comment left. Uh, by a mysterious man named A.J. Schmitz, um, mm-hmm. your your brother, my uncle. And here's what he had to say. Uh, Alex mentioned the stat that they are very good at rush defense, which with the Huskers' weak link being their O-line, I think this is not going to be pretty. He's obviously talking about Wisconsin here. Uh, whis- whiskey by 17, maybe as much as 28. Pete mentioned the North. Is that you subconsciously wanting to be back in the Big 12? 
It was great to hear from the ladies last week. You need more of that. Guys, is it getting frosty in Lincoln? Question mark with a capital F, obviously referring to Scott Frost. Uh, so, quite a, quite a bit there in that uh, that comment from AJ, um, and he actually turned out to be lowballing a little bit with the seventeen points, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But he he had it right. He had it right in terms of how that was going to play out. It's just it's frustrating to me. Uh, but, um, um, accurate as it is accurate as it is. Mm -hmm. And going into that, um, our predictions of both of us, I think knowing that it wasn't a necessarily realistic, not, not necessarily not realistic, but not a probable prediction. You know, if we were uh, Vegas odds makers or actually betting on the game, we would not have, uh, probably put money on Nebraska necessarily, but going with our hearts, we, you predicted a 24-23 victory for Nebraska, whereas I did 31-28. And in actuality, the score ended up being 17-38 uh, right. for Wisconsin. Um, right. And, and, and keep in mind, it was 17-17 uh, 17 in the third quarter. Uh, and so we were in it in, at that point in time. And then Wisconsin just made the decision that they were going to smash the ball on us and stuff it down our throats, which they were able to do. I think they ran the ball like 18 of the next 20 snaps and crushed us. Right. And I also made the point to you that um, we had that unfortunate fumble there in the fourth quarter, which gave them a short field and basically an easy extra seven points. I think that if we had had that drive and gotten like, two or three first downs, you know, not got any points out of it, but, but at least been able to like punt it and flip the field on them. Um, they may have just, you know, ran it conservatively to run out the clock, ended the game being up 14. Um, right. But you know, that's not how it turned out. So now the score, I'd say the score looks worse than what it actually was. Like you say, considering that it was tied 17, 17 in the third quarter, it's not like they were totally right. blowing us out, um, but there near the end, but, they but took the, control. But the fundamental thing, there's two fundamentals. One is that, uh, you know, once they got their offensive line scheme in, in place, meaning they made adjustments at halftime, they came out and effectively in the second half lined up and smashed us, just punched us right in the mouth, and we had no answer. It just blows me away that we couldn't load the box, add an extra guy, whatever it took, and make them throw over the top of us. And and then and then challenge our defensive backs to say, okay, you, you're gonna you guys are gonna do one on one here and um and and you guys are gonna have to hold up because we're gonna put uh, another guy in the running in the running uh thing here and uh in the box and make sure that these guys can't just trip off at frickin' eleven, twelve yards of carry which is what we allowed them to do. And that's the part that, from a defensive standpoint, I, I really have a hard time believing. If it, rather than just letting someone beat the shit out of you, you should respond and do something to stop that and make them change to something else. Okay, they, they may have beat us worse, don't get me wrong. They might have they had four touchdowns throwing it. You know, if, but I, I would rather have forced them to do that than to allow them to just beat the hell out of us, mm. and that, that to me that that is a that is something that I, I have a hard time accepting. Right. Well, and it it was not lost on uh, Nebraska fans the irony of the fact that we were celebrating the 1997 championship team and wearing the '97 throwback jerseys, and then proceeded in the second half to see us get uh, dominated physically in the way that the 97 team and other past Nebraska teams used to physically dominate our opponents by just running it down their throats. That's what Wisconsin did to us there at the end. Exactly. Exactly. And, it, and it's not lost on me that the guy that, that built that tradition at Nebraska or at, at, at Wisconsin is from Nebraska, uh, Barry Alvarez, who is a Bob Devaney, um, um, you know, um, um, contemporary, if you will. Um, and, um, uh, you know, played at Nebraska. So he, he learned how to win, to develop winning football from his, his time at Nebraska. And he has described that and, and says he's taken a number of his offensive philosophies from Bob and even Tom Osborne to some extent. 
uh, as well as some other stops. I mean, he, he coached under Lou Holtz at Notre Dame. I'm not saying he's all Nebraska, but the point is, is that he understands the basics of the game and what it takes to play dominant football um, in a way that we've, we've lost our way in that regard because we've, uh, we, we gave up on Frank Solich. And I understand that there were plenty of people who uh, agreed and believed that that was the right thing to do because Frank was not getting it done in the recruiting trail. Frank was not the dynamic guy that Tom Osborne and his legendary status had allowed Tom to become. And, uh, and Frank was losing. He was, he was coming in second on too many key, key recruits. And so the, the talent level on our team had plummeted during the Frank Solich era. So I'm not saying Frank was perfect. Oh, we should have kept Frank. That's not my point. But, but we might have been able to make some changes to Frank's staff, allowed him to bring in some really dynamic recruiters that would have allowed uh, his recruiting to take a, a, a notch up. And that might have been able to rectify the situation and we would have been able to preserve a little bit about our history and tradition and power football. But instead, we, we went in the direction of Bill uh, Callahan and threw the baby out with the bathwater, and we've never been able to rediscover ourselves since. Now, enter, enter, enter Mike Riley here three years ago, and, uh, and we thought, okay, here's a guy who's w- well-liked. He's, uh, he, he has a lot of the characteristics that all, obviously all of us Husker fans like and admire. He's a, he's a great a human being. Um, he obviously treats his players well, uh, you know, his players go to class. Generally speaking, they stay out of trouble. I mean, we haven't had a lot of issues that way and, and they genuinely love him and, and want to play hard for him and all that, uh, all that I'm seeing is good things, good things. And he's doing a darn good job of targeting and, and identifying recruiting and being dynamic and recruiting all that's good stuff. However, when the, when the rubber meets the road, he has made some huge blunders in terms of his uh, coordinator choices. And, uh, and now when his coordinator was clearly not calling uh, a game plan, not calling a game plan that um, would lead to reasonably chances for success and was far too focused on trying to be balanced. And I don't know if he's worrying about the next games. I, I have no idea why he chooses the plays that he chooses. And he, and he's way too confident in his passing game and what he thinks the quarterback and the receivers at Nebraska can do on a consistent basis, instead of trying to build and develop a running game that he could rely on like uh, like Wisconsin. Wisconsin wasn't having much success running the football in the first half against us. They had one big run, but outside of that one run, um, they, uh, they uh, you know, we, we did a decent job of, of slowing them down, and their passing game had been adequate, but we, we out-yarded them. We, yeah. were, we, were, we were absolutely in the game. Right. Well, and yet then they were able to make a decision that, oh, okay, we just need to line up and smash these guys. And they made a commitment, and they made it. They they got the offensive line together and said, "We're gonna we're gonna go out there and line up and smash these guys." And then they proceeded to just go out there and do it. And we could not stop it. And to me, the lack of adjustment defensively, uh, to be able to do something, whether it's add another guy in the box, uh, change up your scheme, blitz the gaps so that there's a man in every gap, and and even though you're putting your safeties and your corners on an island, and dare them to throw it, do not let them run the football anymore, but dare them to throw it and make them change up what was working. Okay. We never did it. Never did it. And then, uh, and then offensively, it's just, it's just a repeating broken record of, of, of having some decent talent, good running. I mean, I thought, uh, uh, Ziggy, uh, Alonzo, uh, did really well. I mean, he was running hard. I admired what he was doing. You know, uh, there were times when the offensive line was making some holes and doing some things, but instead of having diversity in the running game, he was getting into the whole stupid play action pass thing. And, and he just did not have any diversity whatsoever. And instead of throwing passes that were, you know, early in the, in the game, he was throwing some shorter passes that were lower risk, easier to complete, you know, where's the tight end, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, I, I don't care if the, it was an almost catch, it's that is still there's so many ways that can go wrong. You have to get first downs 
and he just does not understand the concept of getting first downs. He seems to think that he always has to do this, you know, combination of, of plays that are going to lead to big plays, chunk plays, you know, 20 yard plays or whatever. And you don't need to do that. You get the goddamn first down. Mm-hmm. So well, there's my rant. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to bring up because I think that's the interesting element of this game, despite the fact that we lost by 21 is that we were the better team in the first half. Um, mm-hmm. Our own mistakes, the uh, crazy interception at the, on the very first drive. Oh that was God. pick six and then the missed field goal and the couple big plays we let up, you know, uh, yep. we, th- those, we hurt ourselves in, in that respect. Um, Absolutely. Let, let me jump in one more time. I'm sorry, uh, Alex, but I just have to, <laughs> because <laughs> I don't want to lose the thought, you know, I'm, I'm, apparently I'm getting older and sometimes I forget stuff. So uh, that play, that, that interception in which Tanner threw the interception now, you can say all you want about the fact that that's not Tanner's fault because he, you know, the, the receiver, the running back who was intended the receiver, tipped the ball, and then, you know, the Wisconsin guy. The point is, why are you calling that kind of a play at that time given those circumstances? Never should have been called. Then, poorly, poorly executed by Alonzo. Um, because it is Alonzo, no, right? What, it, it was a Zigbo, remember, that he a threw Zigbo. it to. A Zigbo, thank you, thank you, uh, uh, yes, a Zigbo. And he needed to curl. He needed to get deeper in his curl so that when he was turning out, he would be more turned toward the quarterback so the quarterback could actually throw it and lead him going forward. Instead, the quarterback was forced to literally try to throw it over the top of his head because a Zigbo did not get deep enough. Do you understand what I mean when I say deep? Yeah. Okay. So that is an execution error on the running back's part. But why are you calling that play when you had been so successful with some short, crisp, easy, low-risk throws combined with some really good hard running by a Zigbo? You put that big, thick-bodied guy out there to try to run some stupid little flare pass. Stupid. Right. And that's the kind of play calling. That's the kind of thing that is going to ultimately get this staff fired because uh, 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 Langsdorf is an idiot for calling that play. Yeah. That type of play. And the fact that this has happened over and over and over again, this unawareness of what it takes to win in college football. And for whatever reason, Coach, uh, Coach Riley, and this is his fault, doesn't recognize that he needed to table that. He needed to either make Langsdorf change the way he called plays or simply remove him from calling the plays. And because he hasn't done that now, we are faced with three and three and the, and the, the high likelihood that we'll be lucky to be six and six. We're probably going to be four and eight and he's going to get fired. He's going to lose his job. And, and he's got no one to blame for but himself. As many good things as I like about Mike Riley. He's got no one to blame but himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, because th- that was what was so frustrating about it. It's something we've ragged on plenty of times before, but I believe that uh, interception play was a third and two, you know, and we were at like the 25-yard line or something like that. We were getting close to the red zone. Um, right. And we'd been having success running it on that drive. Um, so why you don't just give it to Ozigbo to power it in there for two yards, you know, is right. beyond me. And, and if you felt compelled to, 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 that you wanted to get a pass play, then you run a pass play with one guy going deep to, to, to do a clear out and then, and then three other wide receivers who are all going to be just beyond that. that so you have three choices uh, where you can go to get uh, that two yards. If you're going to throw it, okay, I get it. There might be circumstances and, you know, I, I can understand the argument. As long as you gave your quarterback three choices, bing, 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 that he could choose to do or he could tuck and run it or whatever. But instead, they run a play and they, and they run this stupid outlet. And, and, then, and then a Zigbo blew it on, on how he ran that route. Uh, and, uh, and he – so it just – it's bad. Well, it's just just wrong, and it's bad, and it's basic stuff. Well, this isn't fancy. I don't. I actually disagree a little bit, in, just in terms of I wish he had just run it on that play. But I don't think the pass itself, like 
something along those lines like a quick route you know to a designated receiver where you know okay I'm throwing it to that guy it's gonna go out of my hands as soon as I get the ball you know to, to get two yards that's fine but you, but but you, you don't do it have... but you don't do it with your running back your big right. running back guy who doesn't have you know the best hands you know you do that right. with your night you do that with Alonzo Moore or somebody like that you know somebody we can trust with that back yeah last year right Right, but but the but the point is is you want to have options. You want to have multiple options. You don't want to have a single route situation where you do play action and then you're forced to go to one or two receivers. If you're gonna pass it, then you give yourself some options and you give yourself some options mostly that are just about getting the first down. Screw getting the touchdown. Screw getting 20 yards or 15 yards or anything like that. You get the goddamn first down. That's what's important. And, and, and the fact that he didn't understand that that was that critical at that moment, get that first down. Then, on, then now you're at the 20-yard line or whatever it is, or the 22, and you got first and 10. You want to do a play-action pass on first and 10 and take a shot at the end zone? I'm all in. It's fine. You don't do it at third and two. You know, it's just the wrong time. Right. It's just a bad idea. Right. And, and there's, there's too many downsides. And then you give your no, yourself no chance, or worse, you do what happened to us, you throw a pick. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't the quarterback's fault, but you know what? He already has a history of those. It was his fault. You know, he shouldn't have thrown the pass. It was a horrible throw. It was a horrible route by the running back. Everything about that was bad. Right. Okay? But, but fundamentally, it was the play call that was bad, in yep. my opinion. And, and that's, that's on Langsdorf, and by definition, it's on Riley. And it's because of Riley's support of Langsdorf and this kind of play calling that we find ourselves where we are now having the conversation that you and I are having, even though I'm as passionate and dedicated a, a football fan from the University of Nebraska as, as you can practically find. There you go. Dad's heated up tonight. You're ready. I am. It's just, well, because here's the implications now, Alex. We are looking at most likely a deterioration, if not a significant uh, redirection of our recruiting class for this season. I'm, I am, uh, my likelihood now that we are going to have to search for a new coach again is very high because I don't know. I can't see how, unless Riley can magically make us beat Ohio state this weekend, or we can magically beat Penn state at Penn state and then win every other game. This season is a disaster. And it's the kind of thing with a brand new athletic director who's going to come in and say, this is not what Nebraska stands for. This is not the kind of excellence that we invest in, the kind of money and commitment and resources that we give to this program. And with the tradition that we have in this program, we should not be having this kind of result, period. We should not. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to go in a different direction. And I know all the talk, uh, you know, there are t there's talk out there about, you know, Scott Frost or whatever. And Scott might be a great coach. I, I you know, he, I, I don't know. He's, he's a very young as a head coach. He's had, a, he's had a couple of decent years. He looks to be having a pretty good year this year. But it, it still scares the heck out of me because, number one, I'm not convinced he would want to come to Nebraska because he knows what, what the pressure cooker is that Nebraska is. And, frankly, I think he's pretty excited about what he's building where he's at now. Mm -hmm. So right, be careful it. what you ask for, Nebraska fans, about getting somebody else. But I can tell you, Mike Riley's not the answer unless he gets rid of Langsdorf, and he probably has to get rid of his defensive coordinator too based on that uh, absolutely putrid performance against no. uh, you know, a good but not vintage uh, Wisconsin uh, running game. I mean, that, Wisconsin's a good running team. They're not a great running team. They're not like they've been in past years. They could get there, but they aren't there now. Well, and the fact that they looked like they were against us is a problem. Right. Yeah. Well, and I was bringing up um, there was a Wisconsin game during the Bo Pelini era, you'll recall, where they scored like fifty or sixty points on us, and they just had one running oh, yeah. back. You know, in the big in the Big Twelve or Big Ten championship game. Was that what it was? Maybe. Yes, <laughs> I was there. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, because that, that was one of those, like, you know, th this loss was a, you know, we, we deteriorated in the second quarter, or second half, rather, kind of loss, whereas that one was just a blowout from the start, and we just 
got nothing going. Um, exactly. Which is why I want to. Now, now you, you've, you've ranted for a good bit here. I, I have. I, I, Sorry about that. No, that's fine. But I'm going to lay out some, some more positives, okay? Um, I love you for that. Well, i got to balance this out somehow. This is the dynamic right <laughs> now. Um, so, like I said, you know, our offense was showing some uh, signs of life there in the first half. You know, Zegbo was getting some nice runs, good, like, yard per game, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And the offensive line, like you said, was playing, I'd say, uh, better than they have for most of the season. Um, so we're showing mm-hmm. some improvement there. The defense uh, buckled up and was able to slow them down pretty well. Um, both our uh, uh, D-backs as well as our linemen, you know, like you said, they're early. They weren't able to run it on us super well. Um, I think that this game built up some more confidence for Tanner and that he had the pick six, but like you said, it wasn't really his fault um, in that particular case. And uh, he threw some good passes in this game. You know, the receivers had some good catches as well as some bad drops. Um, but, uh, you know, like you said, we, we out-yarded them by a good bit in that first half. And it was our own mistakes that were keeping us from uh, being in the lead in the game. And then in the early in the third quarter, we got our own uh, pick six, which was right. great. And the Husker bar that I was at, everybody was cheering and high-fiving. And it felt so good. We tried to tie it up the game 17-17. And right there, and then on the following uh, kickoff, their guy right. fumbled it and dropped it on the ground, and one of their guys landed on it and recovered it. And after that, right. they had the big pass that got them their quick touchdown. Um, right. But if that ball right there in that moment with that stadium rocking had gone our way and we got a quick score out of that, the whole game changes, I think. Oh, I, 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 I don't doubt that that's true. I think that would have carried some momentum. Like you say, it would have kept the crowd in it, the whole energy, everything about it. And obviously the fact that we would have taken the lead would have had an impact. And I'm, I'm not sure Wisconsin chooses in that circumstance to go so exclusively to the running game. They might have felt compelled to try to throw it a little more in, in, in an effort to move the ball, you know, in chunks of yards. I hate that term, but that's the reality. And, uh, but, uh, but we didn't force them into that. And they were able to line up and start smashing us. Yep. That all's true. Um, and that, that's why I was going to say that uh, while I am 100% in agreement with you on the Langsdorf thing, I think uh, Diaco, especially since this is his first year, he's a bit more of a, you know, I'm still curious to see um, what he does because uh, there's been uh, signs of really good stuff out of our defense this season. Well, um, you know, and I'm a, and I'm in agreement with you there. I, 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 my my thing my thing with Diaco is number one the whole bend but don't break, and number two the fact that in the rest from the from that moment on that you just described, we got punched in the absolute mouth, and Diaco had no answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I just it just blows me away that as a as a coordinator, you can't schematically have already a defense scheme set up, even if it's a, your goal line defense. So you bring you bring in something, you do something to say, I'm going to stop that running game. I'm going to put another defensive lineman in there. So I change up the blocking schemes and matches up matchups. And I'm going to I'm going to make sure there's a guy in every gap and then and then dare them to throw it. Now, am I going to? be at risk of, of them being able to pass it all over the field because they uh, now have an advantage because we're basically putting our, our corners on an island. I'm, I'm totally good with that, especially against Wisconsin, who does not have great fleet of foot superstar wide receivers. Now, to do that against Ohio State this coming week, that's going to be a problem because they do have that kind of talent at wide receiver. Uh, but Wisconsin did not. And how Diaco couldn't have recognize that he needed to do that as soon as he just watched his team get its ass handed to him on a 80 80 uh, yard drive that's a problem how could he not see that i i just i i don't understand their decisions and how they manage a game mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and well, and especially since you, we've seen uh, from Diaco um, some good adjustments that he's made at halftime in the past, you know. Correct. Um, so you, it, it, my my previous impression was that he was a, a type of coach who was pretty good at being able to adjust on the fly, although in this case it wasn't so much at halftime yeah. as then early in the third quarter. He needed right. to readjust what his halftime adjustments were. Um, and he well, and, that, to do and that. that's the thing. I, I have not seen him adjust well within a half. And I think one of the signs of a great offensive or defensive quarter, coordinator is being able to adjust within the context of the game, uh, not when you have a halftime to be showing and drawing some things up on the board in the locker room with everybody's attention and everything like that. You need to be able to sit down with your defensive line and your linebackers between series when the series is only going to last three or four snaps and get them to make some changes and, and adjust to what's going on. And, and that's what it was. It was basically, they just started doing some cutback stuff in the second half. They would take our defensive line in one way and basically let them take themselves a little bit out of the play. And then they would cut, run the bat running back on a cutback uh, going the opposite way and, and, and gash us. And then the next time they'd come right at us. So they kept us off balance by 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 doing both. But in in, in in both cases, that guy was running through massive holes and he wasn't getting touched. And usually the first time he was being touched, he was being touched sideways, right? The guy was hitting him from the side because he was a linebacker coming in from the side or something. And there's no way you're tackling that that monster uh, from the side. You got to take him head on. You, you can't let him get ahead of steam. And we were allowing that to happen. And again, I think as a coordinator, you can have a scheme that's within there should you've had a whole off season and a whole fall camp to practice a bunch of different alignments. And obviously Diaco uh, had in place four threes and three fours and all kinds of different schemes uh, because he showed them even in our spring game. You know, a lot of our spring game was still four three. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't you have put that defense on there, get another big lineman in there, and and change up how um, uh, Wisconsin was black, blocking, so they would have to change up their schemes, and and then they have to make an adjustment, do something to disrupt their rhythm. Didn't yep. see it. All right. So last bit we're gonna say about the Wisconsin game. I've got a few stats here to continue on my positive side of the of the game. Okay. Um, we put up uh, 381 yards on them. This is a very, you know, like a top 10 rated defense in the country right, right now. Right. We put up 380 yards, 270 passing, 110 rushing. Um, we we only had four penalties in the game, whereas they had eight. Uh, the, the stadium was definitely getting to them. They were making some false starts and things like that. And then there were several uh, penalties that they should have gotten that the refs just missed. Uh, one egregious holding in particular I'm sure everybody who watched the TV broadcast knows about um, oh yeah and then uh, we were both both teams were one and one on sacks so we only let up one we only got one um, but the offensive line did a better job of protecting Tanner there were definitely some times where he had a long time back there in the backfield to find a receiver and we had a guy just you know break away and manage to get something you know on a third down and things like that um, so those are all some positives. Um, obviously, though, in the end of the day, the, all those yards, we weren't able to convert them into points, which is what matters at the end of the day. Um, so, and our defense shut down in the second half, and we lost. And so there's all that. So, as we've alluded to already, uh, you are of the opinion that if uh, if Riley isn't able to pull a miracle out of the hat, so to speak, uh, he's going to be fired and should be fired at the end of this season. Yeah, because, I mean, he's had his chance to change coordinators. He made the decision to change the defensive coordinator, Diaco. And, and maybe if someone came in and, and had your opinion and said, you know, I've seen enough good things from this Diaco defense that I want to give him some more time. And then and then maybe you keep Riley around and you say, hey, Mike, you got to make a change in an offensive coordinator. And, you, and, and, and he ends up kind of being forced, his hand forced, to hire someone else as coordinator. And, and, and again, um, and that might be fine, but you still have a, a, a nice guy, Mike Riley, at the head of the ship who, ha- who does not have the, the coaching style, acumen, cojones, whatever you want to say, to when the chips are down, take the bull by the horns themselves and say, okay, 
I'm going to, I'm going to drive this ship for a while because the guy I hired to do it ain't getting it done the way it needs to get done. And if he doesn't recognize that what Langsdorf has done for these first, you know, five games is unacceptable, then Mike needs to go. So that's why I am now on the, we need another coach, not because I don't like Mike uh, Riley, but because I can't accept this kind of performance from an offense with this level of talent on it. And the, the good news is, is even if we have a shitty recruiting class this year, because we, we, we have to make this difficult decision to fire Mike Riley, we have enough young talent on our team that next year we could still be pretty good with an offensive coordinator who understands what the hell they're doing. I, I swear to you, you could hire uh, a top-notch high school offensive coordinator in the state of Nebraska who understood uh, the, the running game and take the talent that we have uh, on our roster right now without any freshmen and, and be more than 500 in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's just my opinion. And that's, that's the problem with this whole deal is Mike Riley doesn't get that he has so many things in place and yet he's allowing one hellaciously bad play caller crush his, his, his regime at Nebraska. And, and it just seems crazy that a guy with all of his experience is going to be so loyal to an individual uh, coach when the guy clearly isn't getting it done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick of it. <laughs> right. Well, and back in the, our, when we were talking about like the Bo Pelini stuff with the podcast and everything, well, we would talk a lot about, you know, uh, fans being impatient and, you know, how Tom Osborne, you know, wasn't great right out of the gate and things like that. And how long right. you give a coach, you know, at the start of the, uh, of their career and all that stuff. And I would lean towards, you know, three years is, you know, still, well, it's a little early, but I I think anything before then is definitely too early. Year three is where it's like, if, if you're seeing a pattern start to evolve, then I can see the decision. And I agree that if we have a losing record at the end of this year, I can't really justify Mike Riley. still being here after giving us two losing records in his three years at Nebraska. Um, Exactly. But um, my the bigger thing I'm a, a little concerned about is, okay, what, what's the coaching pool? You know, who are our options if we fire Riley? And aside from uh, Scott Frost, um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, coaches who would be likely choose to come to Nebraska. You're, you're, you're right. And that, and that was the question you and I had talked about offline was to say, who would come and, and who would we want? Who do we think could be that next, you know, really great coach for, for Nebraska who understands what it takes to win in the Big Ten at Nebraska with the kind of linemen that we're going to typically be able to attract, et cetera, et cetera, with the weather that we're going to have, the type of offense that's going to work, and frankly with the fans and tradition that Nebraska has, somebody needs to understand they can't, you know, throw the ball all over the yard. It's got to be something that's a run-based system. Um, but, yeah, so, and Scott Frost would obviously be one choice that a lot of people have already talked about. But, again, this is a guy that's only been a head coach for a couple of years, you know, uh, and he was an offensive coordinator for only a brief period of time before that. So he's risen very rapidly since his involvement at, out at Oregon. Now, here's the, here's the, here's my bombshell. After going through, you know, who in the Pac-12, for example, what I think would be an upgrade um, to Mike Riley, for example, that might be uh, someone we could entice or bring bring over to Nebraska. Uh, if you look at head coaches, people with head coaching experience, I look at the head coaches in the Pac-12, and you know, other than you know the obvious choices of some of the coaches at the top of that league. I can't think of anybody. Now, maybe there's an assistant, for example, on Stanford staff that would come with all that tradition uh, at Stanford of uh, in recent years of running the football and having dominant physical defenses and dominant physical offensive lines and running games and stuff like that. Maybe there's somebody on that staff that could be a choice. But I've, as I look at the other leagues, you know, the SEC and, 
ACC and that sort of stuff. I just don't see a lot of, uh, you know, power five programs that, that would have coaches that I'm like, that's a young coach I would really want, you know, um, within the, within the big 10, I would think that Maryland's coach would be one that I would be attracted to, but I doubt that a guy who's got the head coaching job at the university of Maryland in the big 10 is, is going to go to the university of Nebraska, um, uh, you know, you know what I mean? It's because that's a lateral move and going from a place where, frankly, you're surrounded with some pretty decent talent to a place like Nebraska that's showing that it doesn't have any talent and you have to na- you have to recruit nationally at a place like Nebraska. So now, granted, you go to Nebraska, you're going to get commitment. You're going to get the resources you need to, to do the job right. But you got to do it. You got to get the job done. And, and there's not and there's going to be a short string, obviously. Mm-hmm. my here's my here's my my guy so and you might be surprised by this but we're talking about scott frost where did scott frost cut his teeth oregon yep and who was the coach at oregon that really was the one that established uh, some really great stuff for them now there's a guy that's retired now but who's there who was there after that that took them to a number of, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, on the cusp of championships, et cetera, et cetera, but consistently a, a Pac-12 champion and Pac-12 contender and nationally relevant. Right, you're talking Oregon. about Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly. And who's out of a job right now? Chip Kelly. <laughs> well, you know, he, now, he was, he was a failure, in the, in the, uh, an absolute failure as a professional coach. You know who else was a failure as a professional coach? Twice. Uh, Tom Osborne, Nick Saban. Oh, right. <laughs> he was he was a he was not a success uh, in 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 uh, uh, at the Miami Dolphins, for example, before he ended up at Alabama. Um, you remember the controversy of him leaving, literally like in the middle of the season type of deal, weird circumstance, blah blah blah. I'm not going to leave, and then the next day he's being announced as the coach at Alabama. But he he was a disaster as a pro coach. And uh, but Chip Kelly, you go back to his collegiate era, and although um, you know I, I never loved Oregon's schemes or or defense or any of that, you know, and they had a history of having horrible defenses, but his offense was prolific, and it was not the passing game. Now, did he throw the ball? Yeah, he did, but he also ran it a lot. And, and his up-tempo, he was, he was the guy that brought up-tempo, going for it on fourth down, super aggressive, let's, let's you know, pound people into the ground if we could, and scoring crazy numbers of points. You know what? Those are all things that are appealing to a Nebraska audience that's looking at it and saying, okay, this guy's been a winner. He knows what it takes to be successful at the college level. He's got a concept and a scheme that, is, that has been successful at the highest level. All he would need to do is come in here and hire the right defensive coordinator, run his own offense, but hire the right staff and particularly the right defensive coordinator who would be able to put together a defense that would complement his offense. And after all that he's learned, I guarantee you he will be a, a much more savvy and balanced head coach than he was when he was at Oregon, where he was very offensive centric. He would know that his weakness at Oregon and frankly his weakness in the NFL was no defense. Right. So that, he would make that correction, I believe. I, I believe I've seen people mention Chip Kelly before on, like, online, uh, Reddit, and things of that nature. Um, yeah. And I agree that it, that would I'd be pretty happy with that choice and established uh, previous head coach yeah. and all that. Head coach, uh, my, right. My question would be, um, what's he doing right now, and would he even be interested in Nebraska? Well, See, I, I think because of his abject failure at the, at the professional level, he is done as a pro coach for, for the foreseeable future. He will have to rebuild his career if he ever wanted to you know, go back into the professional coaching ranks, he, which he could possibly do, but, but it's a matter of what he wants. But he still enjoys, obviously, a great reputation as a collegiate coach. And I guarantee you there will be many, many athletic directors calling him up, having him on speed dial uh, during this season's coaching carousel. And if Nebraska's on that coaching carousel, I'd be making that phone call real soon. 
So Nebraska better be getting to the business of getting their AD named very soon so that that guy can get to Nebraska within the next couple of weeks and, and start um, working uh, the angles and working to, to get this thing ship righted. Now, that doesn't mean, Alex, after I'm saying all this, the, the new AD may came, come in and say, hey, I'm gonna, I am not getting rid of Riley. I don't know enough. I'm going to see it myself. We're going to, he is getting another year. Come hell or high water, he's getting another year. And if that's what they decide, then that's what they decide. I think that unless they fix the Langsdorf problem, the, the, the whole thing is a house of cards and it will fall apart. Now, if, if, if Riley does get himself somehow another year after the debacle that's about to unfold for us, if he's able to be given that and he does not replace Langsdorf, then he is absolutely through. If he does replace Langsdorf and maybe some other offensive staff so that he can uh, put some people in place that understand the importance of running the football and having a, a, an effective passing game, not a prolific passing game, an effective passing game, then we might have a chance. And you keep Diaco and the defensive staff as best you can. But you're gonna, I, I guarantee you, no matter what, you go 500 or le- less at Nebraska, all those assistant coaches that have a, an ounce of talent, they're going to get cherry-picked by every other co- uh, coaching staff in the country. And why would you want to stay at Nebraska? He is a sinking ship, man. That, you know, get out, get off the Titanic while you can. And the great coaches that we have on the staff now, especially some of our defensive coaches, our wide receiver coach, you know, those, some of those guys, they're gone. They're not hanging with Riley because they know he is he is dead man walking. So in my opinion, I think that I think the ship has already sailed. I think the best thing that Nebraska could do at this point is recognize that we're going to probably end up losing a substantial amount of the momentum on our recruiting class for this season until we get that new guy named. And then maybe he can salvage some bit of the of the overall recruiting uh, group. But the bottom line is that this staff is, uh, is, is dead men walking. And the sooner you can move on to the next group, the better. Uh, and for those who, who don't want the coaching carousel, until you find the right one, you, you need to keep looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know I, I've really dominated this this <laughs> podcast, but I'm obviously fired up. Because I, I'm crushed because this this tells me that we're in for at least another three or four years of rebuilding again. Uh, and your sister, my daughter, who's a freshman at the school, is is not going to enjoy a resurgence of Nebraska football over her four years. She's going to probably be there during a time that is, uh, you know, part of the doldrums and the and the down years of Nebraska football as opposed to maybe the beginning of an upswing, uh, all because Mike Riley can't figure out that his offensive co- coordinator is an idiot. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I agree with you there. Um, I've, I saw some rumors earlier this week. There was a whole thing about uh, us possibly courting the TCU athletic director, but then he like uh, said that it wasn't true on social media or something like that. Um, okay. But, but I agree with you that uh, the AD search – is definitely something that needs to uh, wrap up quickly, it does. so then uh, it does. we can get to the coaching search. And like you say, uh, with the Chip Kelly idea, um, it's looking like a uh, good likelihood that Tennessee is going to fire Butch Jones if their season doesn't improve, and so he right. might be more tempted to go to a, a school with crazy talent like that versus a Nebraska. Right. Uh, so it'll just be interesting to see how it goes, how 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 you know, because some of it is dependent on you know, what other big jobs become available oh, and all that and, stuff. And, and that's why the sooner the better, because maybe you could lock on to a Chip Kelly and he might be willing to say, yeah, I'll, I'll jump with that Nebraska opportunity uh, as opposed to trying to string it along. The closer you get to the end of the season, and, and you're right, you get some more names uh, thrown into the hat like Tennessee. I, I, I tell you what, I love Nebraska like nobody, but – if, if I am being presented the option to be the coach at Nebraska or the coach at Tennessee, I'm choosing Tennessee every day of the week and twice on Sunday because, because 
uh, at Tennessee, you can be you can be guaranteed that you, that within your borders, within the state of Tennessee, uh, you're going to probably have about ten top two hundred and fifty athletes every year. Ten. Most of those ten have a natural desire to go to the home school, the home state school, and in a five hundred mile radius, you're you probably have you know eighty to a hundred and fifty, depending on the year, top four star type talents of all varieties to that you could go after in Nebraska, you know, last year, I think there's a few more this year, but last year there was only like 11 four-star athletes winning a 500 mile radius of Lincoln. It was just stupid. So, I mean, you, you've got to recognize that Nebraska has got tradition. It's got the money. It's got the commitment. It's got great resources. It's got great facilities, all that stuff. But what it doesn't have is population and athletes. So it has to be a nationally recruited thing. And so someone has to be able to look at it and recognize that, boy, I've got a level of commitment within that organization that is second to none, and they're going to give me everything I need to be successful. And I, I know that I can go in there, put a staff together, and nationally recruit and get enough of the right kinds of athletes and then put my system, which is a run-based system, in place in a state like Nebraska, and they will love me. And I will become the next great Nebraska head coach, and they'll love me forever. You know, and that's that's what someone needs to recognize that. And 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 right now, I just I, I'm just I'm shocked that Mike Riley has allowed himself to just get buried by uh, an a, a, an offensive coordinator that is not getting it done, and he stands by him. Right, and- it just doesn't make sense. And the, that's the last thing I wanted to say is that, <clears throat> that one of the advantages of Riley is because he's a older coach who has all these connections. He's been out on the West Coast. I know yeah. he's brought in a lot of great recruits from us from California and things of that yep. nature. So that's something to keep in mind when we're looking at uh, our prospective new coach as well. Well, exactly. And a guy like Chip Kelly could probably save and salvage uh, uh, some of those talented players uh, because who wouldn't want to play in Chip's offense given its history right uh so i mean he's he's still close enough to his his glory years of collegiate football where he was kicking mike riley's ass pretty much every year that um um you know he might be able to salvage some things but you need a big name you need a big name and you need somebody who can bring in uh, uh, a who's who staff of people and we got to give him the blank check to go right the checks to those guys to bring them in too. So there's a, a number of things that have to line up now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out, but, but I sure am not happy with a 500 or worse season in year three. That is not a trend that I can look at and say, Oh, w- w- this program's healthy and we're going to, we're going to get around the corner. I don't believe that because Riley's just not making good decisions about his staff. He's, he's got an idiot on his hands, and apparently he can't coach his coaches because if he could, then Langsdorf wouldn't be calling the stupid plays that he's calling now. He would have tightened the playbook. He would have focused and understood the importance of the running game and establishing and getting first downs and all that stuff. And the fact that he doesn't get that just blows me away. It's just so simple. Yep. So. All right, so last thing. We haven't even talked about Ohio State. Yeah, well, I was going to get into our predictions here real quick. Um, I mean, I don't know what much there is to talk about considering that they're better than us in (laughs) basically every uh, Every side of football. Yeah. um, Well, what what, what are you thinking in terms of a score? I know that Vegas has us as like 23-point underdogs or something like that. I think that's being generous. I think we lose by 30. Wow. I do. I think think the the bottom falls out on us, and um, I think the fans are probably going to be quick to eat their young, uh, and the fan and the and the crowd is 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 going to quickly abandon the team in terms of cheering for the team. And, and if they throw some interceptions, which I'm almost certain they will, uh, the, you're going to, the boo birds will be out on Tanner Lee. And if the defense is given up big plays, stuff, the, the boo birds will get on them too. 
and and it's not going to be pretty. I think we are in for uh, a, a score quite similar to last year's, the disaster debacle that I went to in in um, Columbus last year. It, we're going to see a repeat of that because uh, apparently Mike can't seem to figure out that he has to get in the middle of it. If Mike if Mike Riley has a headset on and comes out this week and says, I'm going to call the plays, I might have a different opinion. Because then, then I might think, there's a chance that what we've seen is going to change. But right now, I see no indication that they plan to change anything. Mm-hmm. And it's just un- unacceptable. And, but yet, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. So, so, so you're saying, I'm afraid we're, we're in for a disaster. So you're saying 30 points, how many do yep. you think we score? Well, I, I'm going to say 17. So what would that be? 47-17? Let's say 48-17. That's my prediction. 48-17, okay. Yep. Um, I, personally, I was going to go for, uh, I think we score, let's say, 14, and they end up scoring uh, 21 over us, so that would be, what, 30? 35? Yeah, 35, so 14-35. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm just really a, a disgruntled fan right now, so well, I'm maybe being a little reactionary, but... It's just disgusting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> happy way to close out this episode of <laughs> College Football Throwdown right here. Uh, well, but but here's the the, the throwdown is uh, we have talent, Alex. Our roster has some pretty damn good talent on it. It's a, it, our roster should win us the Big Ten West this year. Period. It should. We have the talent. And if and if and and I, and I even say our coaches are are good enough in every spot, are good enough. I, I don't love our offensive line coach. I don't love our running backs coach, but overall, I'll accept them. If we had somebody else calling plays, that's all we needed. Somebody else calling offensive plays, we're pro- we probably have two more victories right now, and maybe even a third with um, with um, Oregon, uh, the Wisconsin game. Maybe Wisconsin. the third one would have been because you 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 fast forward with the Wisconsin game and you have somebody who has a, a a brain in their head, then we have a chance to win that game. Yeah. Uh, but but Langsdorf is is an NFL idiot. <laughs> there we go, man. This is uh, I'm thinking back to all the days when we were complaining about Sean Watson and stuff. I'm wondering if Sean Watson yeah. and Langsdorf are going up against each other. Which do we dislike more? <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's kind of what it's like. But uh, again, I would say that I I loved, I I, I love Langsdorf's uh, schemes and in the in the plays that he has in his playbook because I see a lot, especially in previous years. I saw when we had better wide receivers, I saw a lot of wide receivers running wide open, and we just didn't have the quarterback to get him the ball. And not, so I thought this year we would we would have the quarterback to get him the ball, we would be better. Uh, but we we obviously the receivers that we had last year graduated, and we have a a, a, a less talented receiver crew, an inexperienced receiving receiver crew, uh, and then we've had some injuries that have made that even worse. And then Tanner Lee has not been near the quarterback that I thought he was going to be, and and apparently Langsdorf hasn't gotten that memo. He must still think that he's got Tanner Lee NFL super stud, you know running the show because he seems to keep calling all these freaking plays thinking that he's got a high probability of being successful with a play that where Tanner Lee's throwing the ball 40 yards and 35 yards when he needs four. Right. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. And last note of mine, I'd love to see us run more than uh, draw plays in this uh, Ohio state game. Um, Amen. That, that was something that was frustrating me a lot in the Wisconsin games. We just kept running the same play over and over. Well, right. It's 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 a, again. It's an NFL running game that that really is just designed to keep you honest. And then the whole their whole offensive scheme is built around the passing game. Mm-hmm. And and um, and and those kinds of offenses disgust me. <laughs> and now it's the one that I am uh, that I'm having to witness for my favorite team. Yep. So sorry, I'm so negative, but I'm now ready to turn the page and let's move on to 
the next step for Nebraska football so that we can move towards some optimism into the future. All right. Because right now I have very little. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Well, we're looking forward to a brighter future for Nebraska here at College Football Throwdown. If you enjoyed listening to us, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can find us online at uh, footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. You can find us on iTunes at College Football Throwdown. You can leave some ratings and reviews there or if you go to the podomatic website you can leave a comment like aj did and we'll read it here on the podcast um so thank you all out there for listening thank you dad for being with me and uh You're welcome forever and always go big red go big red